we, uh, I think David said we're going to, I'm going to be speaking on the Lord's Prayer uh, from Luke, um, Luke 11, 1 to 4, uh, but also from Matthew. I'm going to look at both passages because I thought that would be helpful to in two of the Gospels. Um, we know that prayer is an essential part of the Christian faith, and anyone who's spent enough time at church, you'll have heard like a lot of messages on prayer. I think for me, most of the messages I've heard on prayer have been about why to pray, why prayer is great, how effective prayer is, how brilliant it is, and sometimes kind of how hard it can be, but we should try anyway. Um, I don't remember hearing loads of messages on the content of prayer. So when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we're looking at, um, we, we get to sit in on Jesus' school of prayer, essentially. So one disciple's in Luke's account, one disciple says to him, but how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. And Jesus kind of is, gives a little kind of class on this is how we're going to pray. So we get to sit in on, let's read the Bible passage, read the Bible passage this morning, sit in on um, Jesus' school of prayer. I wonder if someone asked us how to pray, what our answer would be. If somebody said to you, okay, you said prayer is important, I'm a Christian, I should pray, what should I say? What would you say to them? Now, obviously, like the, the, you know the answers now. Oh, here's the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if we would say that. I imagine a lot of us would say, it's not your words that count, it's your heart, or something like that. And that's, that's true. I mean, it's, you know, it's the heart that really counts. But actually, Jesus' answer to his disciples is really practical. That's what we're going to have a look at. I've asked Sarah and Bev to come and read the passages, because to give you a break from hearing my voice, if nothing else. Do we have a, um, can we use a handheld? Just there. I've got them on paper if you need them here as well. Are you ready to go? When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So this is the one from Matthew. Um, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thank you very much, Bebe and Sarah. Um, Vicky, was, was, the, was, the, um, was the kind of presentation a no-go? I oh, right. It started actually when I started before. So um, if we, so I had that, and then I had the Bible verses on the next couple of slides. But actually, sometimes it's quite good to just listen. So we want the one after the um, after the Bible passages. 
What's that? That's a reasonable font, sir. <laughs> Should have gone specs over. <laughs> Is it too small? Yeah, just the next one. That's fine. It's not essential, but just gives you something to look at. If you're thinking, I've had enough of looking at his face, and Vibe isn't particularly attractive, then um, there you go. And it'll give us just a bit of an, bit of an outline. Um, so the Lord's Prayer, um, these, these passages contain two alternative versions, what's come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Um, it's a prayer that most Christians have prayed for two millennia. Um, and even if you're not, if anyone here is not particularly familiar with the church, doesn't know the church well, if we've got non-Christian friends that don't know the church well, um, they probably would have heard this prayer at some point. If you've been to a wedding in the Church of England, you might have heard it. If you've been to any kind of church service, you might have heard it. Or just in popular culture, bits of it kind of get used and pop up now and then. Um, among Christians, there seem to be two main ways of looking at the Lord's Prayer. So um, essentially, I'd boil these down to, is it a script or is it a model? So the script would be, this is something to be recited. So we recite the words of the prayer as it's found in the Gospels or in church tradition. Um, or a model, sometimes people will say, well, that's not really the point of the Lord's Prayer. The point is to get an idea. It kind of just teaches us some stuff about prayer. And either we use it, some people use it as quite a prescriptive model, like this is the order you must follow when you pray, or should this is the kind of like divinely most powerful order to follow when you pray, or just here's some things you might want to pray about if you're not sure what to pray about. So kind of just, you know, here's some tips or, and some ideas. Um, so the first question I want to look at is, is it a script or is it a model? Is it something that we should recite together as the church, or does it just teach us something about prep? Um, now, some of you might think I've made a false dichotomy there, and yeah, my answer is actually, personally, I think it's both. So I don't think we have to hold these things apart, and I don't think we need to kind of argue about it, and if people recite it, go, well, that's not the point, it's about a deep message. And also, if people want to kind of use it more loosely, we don't have to be really fussy about that. Um, partly because we're charismatics, and we tend to value spontaneity over tradition, rightly or wrongly. Um, first, I just want to make the case for reciting the Lord's Prayer. So if we could do the next slides. The, so first bit, the, a script. I want to look at the Lord's Prayer as a script or something that we recite. Um, so the author and theologian Alistair Roberts says that the Lord's Prayer is not just a worked example of a good prayer, although it is that. It's a gift of specific words that we ourselves can pray. I agree, and I found it to be really helpful in my own life. I'm not the best prayer, often lack inspiration when I'm praying, but I found actually just getting into the groove of saying these words I know so well is a great starting point for prayer for me. Um, the version of the prayer that we have in Matthew seems to have been designed for people to uh, repeat and learn. So um, commentators note that it has this kind of carefully crafted liturgical structure, and actually there's similarities to some of the bits of Jewish liturgical prayer so the Jewish set prayers that were used in worship at the time. Um, it does seem that Matthew, who was the um, kind of the most Jewish gospel writer in that he wrote to a primarily Jewish Christian audience, um, may have tried to kind of craft his presentation of the prayer in a way that it was kind of memorable and repeatable and could be used in public worship. And actually, Christians have always done this. So for the church's history, this isn't something that just kind of came in with medieval Catholicism and they kind of started making people recite it. It's something that's always been done. So the Didache, which is one of the earliest Christian texts that we have, um, instructed people to pray like this three times a day. Um, and actually around the church now, around the world now, Christians of all denominations pray this. So uh, Orthodox, 
Roman Catholic, Protestant, Christians all around the world pray this as a set prayer and repeat the words of this prayer. Um, I've done some, not really maths, I, wouldn't, I think Bob could call it maths. Um, there's about 2.4 billion Christians on the planet, and I know we can kind of quibble about who counts and who doesn't, um, but essentially there's 2.4 billion Christians. There's 86,400 seconds in a day, so that's about 27,778 Christians for each second of the day, which means that any second where you start praying the Lord's Prayer, I think it's extremely likely there's a whole bunch of people around the world praying the same words of the prayer in their own language with you. I just think that's quite cool. It's just something we do together. Um, it's also a prayer that can change us and change the world around us. So uh, when we recite the words of the Lord's Prayer repeatedly, they can enter into our hearts and our imaginations, more than perhaps if we just said them once. Daily repeating the words, your kingdom come, your will be done, for example, is going to make it much harder for you to see your purpose on earth as that of just being a consumer. You know, you go through your life kind of consuming, taking all the stuff, okay, I just kind of have a nice time, I buy stuff. But actually, daily you're saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. I think over time, it's going to get into your heart, get into your imagination, where you think. 2016, the Archbishops of Canterbury and York um, wrote that, oh, I think I've got in not wrong order. At the heart of our prayers will be the words that Jesus himself taught us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It is impossible to overstate the life-transforming power of the Lord's Prayer. It is a prayer that is reassuring enough to be on the lips of the dying and yet dangerous enough to be banned in cinemas. It is famous enough to be spoken each day by billions in hundreds of languages and yet intimate enough to draw us ever closer into friendship with Jesus Christ. It is simple enough to be memorized by a small children and yet profound enough to sustain a whole lifetime of prayer. When we pray it with sincerity and with joy, there is no imagining the new ways in which God can use us to his glory. So I think it's a prayer that we should pray. I think it's a healthy prayer and helpful prayer for us to pray. At the same time, if we go to the next slide, um, I do think it's a model. Um, so I think it's good to recite the Lord's Prayer, but I think also it teaches a model that teaches us about the, what the heart of prayer is. Uh, firstly, it seems pretty clear that these aren't the, the only words that we're meant to use when we pray. Jesus himself prays other prayers in the Bible. So he's not breaking his own rule. He says, when you pray, say, and then you go, ha, but you didn't do that. Um, Paul prayed other prayers, and so have all denominations of Christians across church history prayed other prayers as well. So firstly, this isn't just a, this is, these are the only words you say when you pray. Um, and there's other reasons why we might think it's a model for prayer. Um, one of those is that the versions in Matthew and Luke that we heard are slightly different, which suggests they might be something of a summary of what Jesus said about how to pray, rather than a kind of noting down of the exact words he used. Um, and early church fathers, such as Origen, also saw this as a model for how to pray and not just a set prayer. So both of those things, the Lord's Prayer as a, something to be recited, but also the Lord's Prayer as something that teaches us how to pray ourselves, are very old and go back to the early church. So my own view is that as well as being a gift of specific words, it gives us a summary of Jesus' teaching on what we should pray about, as well as how to address God in prayer. It gives us a glimpse of heaven's priorities for prayer. So I think that's a nice, I think a nice way of saying it. So I'll say it again. I think the Lord's Prayer gives us a glimpse of heaven's priorities when we pray. And they may or may not be the same as ours. But it's a good starting point, so we learn. Um, I think this is probably a horribly flawed analogy. So um, I apologize to someone who's a real musician, but a musician than I. Um, but I want us to imagine that all prayer is music. So let's just imagine that all prayer is music. And let's imagine that heaven has a key 
So we can be singing in key, in tune with the key of heaven, or we can be singing out of tune with the key of heaven. The Lord's Prayer is like a kind of song, and it teaches us to sing in the key of heaven. As we say this prayer word for word, as we meditate it on it, and as we slow down and spend time on particular themes or motifs within it, the Holy Spirit can attune our hearts to heaven. As we pray with Jesus' priorities, they can become our own priorities. So, I mean, I know this is extreme, but, um, you know, we don't start by saying, God, please give me a Mercedes, it'd be really cool. Probably none of us do that, I hope, I hope not. Um, but we learn to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, so I've said that the Lord's Prayer is a gift of specific words we can pray, and I think it's a model of prayer that can attune us to the key of heaven, that can teach us to share heaven's priorities when we pray. So um, that's kind of the first part. The second part, I'd just like to look, um, it's going to have to be quite quick. I am timing, don't be alarmed. Um, also, if you saw lots of sheets, it's because I made the font big, because last time I remember kind of like not losing the plot halfway through because I couldn't actually read what I'd put. Um, so I'd just like to draw out a few things. If we could go to the last, it'll be the last slides, um, and we'll just stay on that one for a bit. Um, and just look at some things that the, 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 word, the Lord's Prayer does teach us about prayer and about what the content of our prayer should be and what the heart of prayer is. Uh, so the first thing is our Father in heaven. It's good, isn't it? So I like that bit. Um, Jesus invites us to address God as our Father. Some of the teaching around this, if you look in um, the passages we read from Luke and Matthew, if you look a bit before or a bit after, actually the te- Jesus' other teaching on prayer um, around the Lord's Prayer picks up on this theme as well. So, um, for example, in Matthew, immediately before this prayer, we heard, um, we heard this bit, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or as the pagans do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because God's our Father, we don't have to come and put on a performance. He knows what we need before we ask. He loves us, and he's able to help. So we can come before him and present our requests simply as children. One of the dangers of taking the, this prayer as model approach is sometimes kind of people think, well, this is the order I have to follow. These, this is the, kind of the protocol. But there isn't protocol. It's God saying he's our father. Um, we don't have to rack up a certain number of words before God's going to grant our requests. I think as charismatics, again, to sort of just push that button a little bit, I think this is something, we are probably more prone to this than many other denominations. Um, we have a tendency to pray very long, very spiritual-sounding prayers in public. That's not always wrong, but it's about our heart. But also sometimes that's about also what it communicates to other people in the congregation. I don't need to feel self-conscious if you say a longer prayer, but I think, um, you know, are we only willing to pray the long prayers in public? Are we only willing to pray the ones that sound impressive and really spiritual? We also say things like, we really need to press into this in prayer. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong, okay? But it depends what the heart is. What do we mean when we say that? Do we mean that we need to say a lot more words before God's going to answer? We might not mean that. And I know 
there's different ways you can take that. But I think for some of us, we hear those things, we see the things going on, and we think, okay, prayer that impresses God is long prayer, wordy prayer. And you kind of pray and you think, is it enough now? Have I asked for that enough now that you're going to say yes? But Jesus says, don't heap up your, the words like pagans. I think you're going to be heard because of your many words. Because you're praying to your Father in heaven, and he knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Okay. Um, he answers us. He knows what we need before we ask, and he answers us because he's gracious and not because we've performed well or prayed well enough. So personally, I find this really liberating. It's actually okay for me to come to God and say something short like, please save my brother, or help me get through today, or you know, help me love you more, help me be a better dad and, and husband, those kind of things, and God knows. We don't have to say each prayer three times in different words before it counts, because God is our Father, and he already knows what we need. So that's the introduction. We then get three requests that um, people, have, people have said about this. There's, there's, the dispute is about, is it, a six, is, it, is it six petitions or seven petitions in the structure? Um, I'm not going to get into that. I don't know. Um, seven, but maybe six. Um, we've got three together. So, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. And they're kind of one group in the first half. The first three requests are about God's glory and his rule. So the first one, hallowed be your name, is sometimes misunderstood. Um, people, I've heard it um, and read it used um, to teach that the first part of prayer should be praise, for example. So when you come, you know, oh, hallowed be your name, you should start by praising God. That's not what it says. Um, it's, uh, I'll come back to that in a second. It is good to pray, praise God, obviously, and there's biblical precedent for starting prayers with praise. Um, and thanksgiving. But there's also biblical precedent for starting prayers other ways, like laments, if you've read the Psalms, for example. Um, because God's our Father, we don't have to follow a particular protocol when we pray. So I don't believe personally that Jesus is telling us, when you pray, you've got better make sure you go through this order, and you better start like this. It's about teaching us the priorities, God's priorities. Um, just as we don't need to rack up a certain number of words, each time we ask for something, we don't have to stack up a certain amount of praise before it's okay to present a request. Also, hallowed be your name here. Um, a lot of you know this. Maybe everyone knows this. I don't know. Um, it's not a statement of praise. It's actually a request. After our Father in heaven, everything in this prayer is a request. Um, and that does still honor God, because when we come to before God and we present our emptiness and recognize his fullness, that is worshipful. That can be worshipful. We come before God as our Father. We're not trying to act up to impress him, but we're saying, you know, we're praying in line with his priorities. Um, it's the first, this is the first priority for prayer. Um, it doesn't say your name is holy, but may your name be honored as holy. That's our first priority for prayer that we learn in the Lord's uh, prayer. We're asking for his name to be revered in all the earth. Um, the emphasis on God's name is an antidote to a kind of me-centered Christianity or a prosperity gospel or therapeutic, moral, moralistic therapeutic deism or whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's a healthy check on our ego, egos. I do so many things because I want my name to be honored. Okay? I mean, so many things. It can be in the way that I do my job. It can be in the way that I serve in church, standing up in front of you today or leading worship and things like that. Um, it can be in just the way that I act in public. I think, okay, everyone, I want everyone to look at me. I think I'm great. But um, Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. In a way, it's kind of liberating. 
because it's actually okay if people don't think I'm great. It's actually okay if people don't think you're great because this world's never been about your greatness anyway. It's never been about my, great, my greatness. It's always been about God's name. The natural follow-on from asking for God's name to be hallowed is to ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth. So we want to see everybody hallow God's name. We want to see everybody submit to him as king and we want to see everyone obey his will. Just could you imagine a world where this, I've kind of, this is something I've been thinking this week with all of the horrific news stories, is, well, imagine a world where actually everybody did hallow God's name and bow their knee before him as king. So instead of kind of evil world leaders starting unjust wars, they were bowing in their rooms in prayer. It would be paradise because hallowing God's name is totally incompatible with evil. You can't hallow God's name and sin at the same time. God's kingdom is a place of righteousness, peace, and joy in which there is no exploitation, unjust war, or self-exaltation because God is totally pure and good. If word leaders hallowed God's name and submitted to his rule, we would not be waking up to news of war every day. If business leaders hallowed God's name and submitted to his rule, we would not see so much inequality everywhere and poverty. We would not see the poor exploited and the earth ravaged in order to build up men's little personal empires. Can you imagine a world in which every single one of us said, hallowed be your name and bowed before God and didn't try and just build up our own kingdoms by exploiting those around us? Um, the problem is, it's not just about the people out there. So it's very easy to look in the news and go, oh my goodness, Jeff Bezos, look at all the money he made during lockdown, during COVID. That's evil. Okay, that's just, just wrong, isn't it? But actually, it's not just about the people out there. I'm also a sinful human being. And when I pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, that is a massive challenge to me personally as well. Because if I'm honest, a lot of the time, what I really want is... My name be hallowed, my kingdom come, definitely my will be done. So this is hard for me to pray this. Am I going to seek God's glory and not my own? Am I willing to bow my knee before God and pray as Jesus did, not my will, but yours be done? So Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prayer invites me and challenges me to live in a world in which God's name and his kingdom take priority. And I'm not there, but praying the prayer can help get us there. Um, so... I'm, going to, I'm, near, I'm nearing the end. If you're kind of concerned, I'm, 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 I can see the end even in sight visibly in front of me, so that might reassure you. Um, so you can see the end in sight metaphorically. Um, I won't turn it around. Just trust me on that one. Um, so although we start by praying for, uh, we pray for God's name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, and his will to be, his, his will to be done, uh, the prayer pivots in the middle on this give us day our, day our daily bread. So we kind of pivot towards actually our needs, God does care about our needs. He knows what we need before we ask, and he's promised to provide for us. Later on in Matthew 6, um, it's interesting this is so close. I kind of never put two and two together, but sort of did just this morning kind of just tweaking some bits here. Um, it's in Matthew 6 that Jesus says, tells his followers not to worry about their needy, daily needs, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's exactly the same uh, passage of the Bible or chapter of the Bible. And it totally fits what's modeled in the prayer. We seek first the kingdom of God, but actually we know that as we do that, God has promised that he's going to meet our needs. So then when we turn to give us this day our daily bread and ask God to meet our needs, we know that he's promised to, to answer that prayer. It's not give us today our daily wants, 
but give us today our daily bread. He's asked to meet our needs. Um, And then forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So while the phrase give us today our daily bread, I mean, we can use that as a catch-all for meeting our needs. But to me, it suggests more our physical needs, our daily bread. Um, But then actually, that's the only bit about our physical needs in the whole prayer. We look at the next three lines. They're all about spiritual needs. It's almost like the spiritual needs are more important. We'll take priority. Um, seems like the, the weight is slightly more on the spiritual needs. And I think, I, I think this prayer gives us a heavenly perspective, gives us a perspective on actually when God looks at our world and all the needs that are around there, what's important? Our first need is for God's name to be glorified and his kingdom to come. But then we've got these others here as well as physical and spiritual needs. So as sinners, we all have a deep need for forgiveness. God offers to meet this need through Jesus, who died to take our guilt upon himself. And he invites us to ask for his forgiveness. That's encouraging, isn't it? Jesus says, hey, pray, forgive us our sins. It's not because he's saying, you know, ask, and then we'll say no. He's saying, ask me. Ask ask your heavenly Father to forgive your sins, because God wants to say yes. But there's that really scary bit afterwards, isn't there? Um, Because... It says, as we forgive, uh, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, I've heard it said, or seen it written, I can't remember, that the as in the line, forgive us our sins as we also have forgiven, is one of the most terrifying words in Scripture. We're asking to be forgiven in the same way that we forgive. Now, you might have questions about what this does with our theology of forgiveness, but I think Jesus doesn't leave us a lot of room for maneuver. Um, he adds at the end, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you trespasses. We don't have anywhere to go with that one. God is forming a new community, and it's a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. We either want to be in that community, or we don't want to be in that community. We either say, I want to be in your community of forgiveness and reconciliation, or I want to live in a world of unforgiveness and irreconciliation, if that's a word. Um, we either want to forgive and be forgiven, or we don't. We don't have the choice of saying, I want to be in by being forgiven, but I'm not going to do forgiving myself. So do we want to join that community? That's kind of the choice we have. Do we want to be in that? We have the option of receiving forgiveness and extending it to others. Um, and just the last thing I want to say. There you go. Nearly made it. Um, which is maybe the easiest thing to miss in this prayer, but maybe it isn't. You might, be, might, be, you might have picked up already. Christianity is not just about me and Jesus, is it? But it's in the forgiveness thing. It doesn't say, my Father in heaven, give me today my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. It says, our Father in heaven, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is something that is about us as a community. We're praying for ourselves, and sometimes we're praying by ourselves, but we're also praying for others and with others in God's family of forgiven sinners. We're praying not only to be forgiven, but we're praying to have grace to escape the snares of sin, lead us not into temptation, and to be delivered from evil in all its forms, deliver us from evil. And personally, I think that goes beyond just uh, temptation the last bit. We're asking to be delivered from the evil that is in the world. 
We need God's and others' help to live faithful lives in the midst of a broken world. But as we pray for help to be led away from temptation and delivered from evil and all the other things we pray about in this prayer, we can know that we are praying to our Father in heaven who is faithful and knows what we need before we even ask. Okay, so I, I'm going to leave it there. That's, there's obviously so much more that could be said, so we've had to take quite a sort of rush through there. Um, if nothing else, what I want us to get is that this prayer is an amazing prayer, and, um, and for some of us, perhaps it could be more at the core of our prayer lives than it is. I think for some of us as charismatics, what we do is, hey, we kind of go with spontaneous stuff all the time, and maybe every now and then when we come to a formal service, we might recite this prayer. And um, I just think whether, whether we're sort of reciting it, um, word for word, or whether we're kind of spending time on it, using it to inform our prayer lives, it has so much to teach us about um, prayer. So if nothing else, if the people go away today and say, hey, I'm going to spend a bit more time with this prayer, that would be a, that would be a big win. I take that as a win. Um, so I'm not sure where we're going in the service now, but I think perhaps a good way for us to just finish would be to recite the prayer together. Is that okay? Could we stand to do that? And then I'll pass over to Steve and David. <clears throat> There's the, um, I didn't mention the doxology at the end, the so kind of praise at the end. Um, a, a lot of you will know that's not in the Bible, but it's been uh, from very early Christian traditions. So I mentioned the didash, and that's in there a form of that as well. We'll just pray the bit that's in the Bible that's on the board for this morning. I pray the other bit as well, but just so we're all in the same words. So. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.